It's been just under two months since Joe Biden took the oath of office, so what does he have to show for it? I'll give you President Biden's scorecard so far, plus more on the growing crisis at the border with the Center for Immigration Studies' Jessica Vaughn. Friends, time for Hold the Line. this vote, the yeas are 220, the nays are 211. The motion is adopted. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. There you have it. Almost $2 trillion. The so-called COVID relief bill, about 9% of it actually going to things like vaccination and direct dealing with the virus. But this is this new administration's way. This is how the Democrats are playing the game now. Whatever they want to do, that's what they're going to do. Whatever they can get away with, whatever they think is necessary, that is the pathway that they will pursue. And and in fact, unlike Republicans sometimes, got to be honest with you, they get it done. They just go for it. Why couldn't they have been bipartisan? Why couldn't they have actually worked with the other side on this? Because they feel like they don't have to. And so they're not going to. So let's take a look at what we've seen so far. We're almost two months into this Biden administration. Let's take piece by piece what we're actually seeing across the country, what's actually happening, and how the Democrats are using their newfound power. We started here with the COVID relief bill. Interestingly enough, five bills were passed when Republicans had a majority. Five bills were were passed when Republicans, or rather five bipartisan bills were passed when Donald Trump was in the White House. But now all of a sudden you've got a Democrat in control and so they no longer care about bipartisanship. Now all of a sudden they change the rules of the game in real time. What does this $1.9 trillion mean for the economy? People are starting to talk about inflation. They're discussing what this will do to a lot of the private sector spending and a lot of the economic indicators that are out there. Doesn't look particularly good for them. But remember, Pelosi is not even telling you that this is the final one. She says if the virus doesn't cooperate, there might be another trillion, maybe another two trillion they'll spend. And here's a little preview. They're going to find some way to try to justify that no matter what the virus does, because Democrats like to spend your money on things that they want to on groups, interest groups and uh, different uh, special interests out there all across the country. So that's one part of it. Then we, of course, have so on the economic and COVID front, so far, no bipartisanship. It's just a giant wish list that's gotten passed here by the Democrats. Joe Biden about to sign it. Now let's look at how the security situation is going. Looks like National Guard troops are going to stay in D.C. for 10 more weeks. That's right, 10 more weeks of National Guard in D.C. for the QAnon coup that is never going to happen, that no serious person believes is a real threat to the republic They're not about to overthrow the government. They're not going to storm all of D.C. and seize it by force of arms and say, we are now the QAnon kings and nobody can ever tell us otherwise. This is absurd, but there's a real cost to this. Because by creating these visuals in D.C. of the Capitol surrounded with fencing and barbed wire, here you go, making it look like our Capitol is under siege from whom? From the opposition, of course. Anybody that doesn't go along with this Biden administration, the authoritarianism of it, the Fauciism of COVID lockdowns, anybody who has problems with this, who believes that free speech and and liberty actually means that society embraces that there are imperfections, there is risk in freedom, you are the enemy because you, at least at a minimum, believe that others should be able to share ideas that are antithetical to this new regime. 
So we've got now troops in D.C. preparing for what looks like an invasion for another 10 weeks. That seems like a gross, uh, a gross abuse of power to me, but that's what they're doing. And then you also have the preparations this week in Minnesota, in Minneapolis specifically, for the Chauvin trial. Remember all that defund the police rhetoric from the Democrats that they started to get, get away from when the actual election was happening? You're going to see that sentiment on full display again. The city of Minneapolis preparing for major riots. And who knows what will even cause the riots in terms of the outcome. If Chauvin goes to prison for murder, maybe that just shows how racist the police are, so there have to be riots. If he gets off, well, then we know there are going to be riots because the system is so unjust. Uh, you know, it's a heads, they win, tails, we lose situation for Antifa, for BLM. That's what we're up against there. And then, of course, we have the executive orders on a whole range of issues, social justice issues that don't benefit a majority of the American people, but make the activist class and MSNBC and CNN anchors feel good about themselves. And now we see more about the individual in charge here, Joe Biden, who quite memorably, speaking of memory, forgot the name of his secretary of defense earlier this week. I know they'll say that anybody could have a lapse in judgment. Anybody could have a moment where they don't really know what's going on around them. Going to make a lot of excuses in the years ahead for this guy. You can already tell. Here's the press ushering, uh, I'm sorry, here's Biden's handlers ushering him away from the press. Indeed. Like they're really concerned about Biden, I don't know, getting a question from somebody that he's not really prepared for. And perhaps he says something foolish, which Biden has a very long history of doing, we all know. But there's plenty of gaffes that have been covered up for him in the past. The media doesn't really pounce on them. They don't really care. I think they're much more concerned about the possibility that he would just start to wander off into some kind of gibberish. And then we'd have a very different situation on our hands. Oh, and don't let me forget what's going on, speaking of situations, at the border, which now it seems the single biggest focus of the Democrats, of the Biden administration, after creating an enormous incentive for illegal immigration to come to our southern border, uh, their biggest focus is, let's not call this a crisis, let's not actually speak about it that way, play it. Would you describe what's happening on the border as a crisis, given how these numbers are spiking so much week by week? You know, I think the I, I really I'm not trying to be cute here, but I think the fact of the matter is we have to do what we do regardless of what anybody calls the situation. And the fact is we are all focused on improving the situation, on changing to a more humane and efficient system. And, and whatever you call it wouldn't change what we're doing. Let's not get stuck on labels. Labels that were used aggressively against the Trump administration, which was actually trying to stop the crisis. This is a crisis of the Biden administration's making. And what they're really doing is creating faster, more efficient processing for people to scam our immigration system and end up breaking our laws in large numbers. It is a crisis. We can all see it but they don't want to admit it because this is not a crisis that they yet can exploit. But give it time as they build up the system, give it time as hundreds and hundreds of thousands more illegal immigrants flow into the country. And then they'll say, you know what, maybe this is a crisis. And we have the solution for you, amnesty. 
Yes, this is the oh-so-moderate, right down the center of the aisle, reaching out to both sides by administration that we were promised, isn't it? Only two months in, we're already seeing exactly what's going on. Who's in charge? That's feeling like a very open-ended question still. While the Biden administration refuses to call the massive influx of migrants and unaccompanied children at the border a crisis, they can't escape the reality. Up next, we'll discuss the latest with Jessica Vaughn of the Center for Immigration Studies. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you knew you didn't have time to do it on your own? Where do you start? I felt exactly the same way until about a year ago. I've always loved the idea of real estate investment, but I didn't know how to invest in real estate while staying committed to my profession. I do five hours of original programming and content every day. How was I ever going to take the time to invest in real estate on my own? Well, then I met my friends at Done For Your Real Estate. They took all of the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property. They rented it out for me right away. They managed the tenant for me, and now I get a check every month like clockwork. Done For You took me through the entire process, from the first conversations about what city to then finding the actual house with a real estate agent, and then getting the loan set up, getting the tenant, the management company, all of it. So straightforward. Give them a shot. Don't wait until you see what my buddies at Done For Your Real Estate can do for you. Go check them out right now. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how this works. It's very straightforward. doneforyoubuck.com to begin your real estate investment journey today. Again, that's doneforyoubuck.com. There is a crisis on the Texas border right now uh, with the overwhelming number of people who are coming across the border. This crisis is a result of President Biden's open border policies. It invites illegal immigration and is creating a humanitarian crisis in Texas right now uh, that will grow increasingly worse by the day. Texas Governor Greg Abbott slamming the Biden administration for the overwhelming surge of migrants at the southern border. Governor used the word crisis three times in 20 seconds to describe the situation, a word the Biden administration still trying very hard not to use. Do you believe that you have a crisis at the border? I don't think I'm going to put new labels on it from here or from the podium, but it is a, a, a priority of the administration. Do you believe that right now there is a crisis at the border? I think that the, uh, um, the answer is no. Uh, I think there is a challenge at the border that we are managing. Is there a crisis at the border, sir? Sure. At this point, is this a crisis at the border? Look, I don't think we need to sit here and put new labels on what we have already conveyed is challenging. Challenging. Border Patrol has already encountered more than 100,000 migrants the past four weeks who are illegally crossing in the United States. The number of unaccompanied children has tripled in the last two weeks. The number of migrants testing positive for the coronavirus has doubled from last week. And they still won't admit this is a growing crisis or just a crisis at all. Here to discuss, we've got Jessica Vaughn, Director of Policy Studies for the Center for Immigration Studies. Jessica, good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks. Let's start with, by any definition that has previously been used and, and even specifically was used by the media under the Trump administration, it's clear we do have a crisis. What is happening at our border? Why is this occurring? What we're seeing now is actually a continuation of an influx of new people hoping to cross illegally into the country and be allowed to stay. And it started soon after the election in November because um, prospective migrants in Central America and really all over the world believed that if Joe Biden were elected, that he was going to fulfill his campaign promises, 
for a mass amnesty and a reversal of the Trump administration's tough policies at the border. And so they're coming because they have the realistic belief that if they can make it to the US border, they will be allowed in, they will be supported with programs and services, and that they, and they might even benefit from an amnesty that is being promised by the Biden administration. I mean, there is no doubt that this is linked to the change in policies under this new administration. We had a crisis in 2019, tough measures really uh, were needed to take care of it, but it was addressed. It shows we can control the border. When the policies change, people's motivations change, and that's what's happening. Now, we have the Biden administration come into office and right away, they said they wanted to have, I believe it was, a, was it 100 days or 90 days, I forget, but a, let's, a 90 day freeze on deportation, something like that. And then a federal court said, you, you can't actually do that. Uh, what is the status of deportations under the Biden administration? Are, are they still ongoing? Have they changed the parameters for who's gonna get deported? And, and because to, to your earlier point about people thinking they're gonna get to stay, it does seem likely that a family unit that right now shows up on the southern border and gets entry in the United States, which is not hard to do under the credible fear test claiming defense of asylum, is likely to stay. So, so who can't stay, I guess, Jessica? Or who won't under the Biden administration? Well, the, the border is essentially open to almost anyone, even people who've been deported before, even people who were deported after criminal convictions. Um, you know, most things are being simply excused. And yes, the 100-day deportation freeze that Biden ordered on his first day in office has been enjoined by a federal judge, but the more seriously damaging policy is the freeze that Biden put on interior enforcement activity by ICE, telling ICE officers that they are no longer allowed to detain uh, arrest, look for, or remove all but a very small share of criminal illegal aliens. The most serious criminal aliens, like, you know, as one friend of mine in law enforcement used to say, the kind of person who, you know, hacked off a nun's head in the public square. Really serious criminals. Everyone else is not a target now for immigration enforcement. And that's another incentive for people to try to come. Now, some states uh, are looking to sue over this policy, which really is an abrogation of the federal government's job to enforce the laws that Congress passed. Florida is suing, uh, Montana and Arizona also are filing lawsuits uh, following on the Texas lawsuit. So, but this really is a, a shocking decision that Biden has made to simply suspend deportations. He's gone even farther than Obama did in shutting down what ICE can do by pushing this narrative that immigration enforcement is inherently unfair, mean, even racist and uh, shouldn't be occurring, they wanna get everybody, as many people as possible in place to benefit from the mass amnesty that Biden hopes to pass with legislation that's been introduced in, uh, in, the, in Congress and which we're gonna start to see debated next week in the House. Now, I, I have to say that when the administration talks about this, that it's hard not to feel like they aren't trying to hide something or at least downplay some of this. Here's Jen Psaki on DHS's refusal to confirm border numbers. There are reports out there that the number of unaccompanied migrants detained at the border has tripled in the last two weeks to 3,200 plus. Is that number accurate? 
I'm not going to confirm numbers from here. Those numbers are tracked by the Department of Homeland Security, so I'm certainly, I'm just suggesting that you talk to them about specifics. Well, we talk to them, Jen, they won't confirm the numbers. Well, I, I would encourage you to go back to them and ask them again. We're not going to confirm them from the White House. It's not our program. It's the are Department of Homeland Security. Security. Pretty sure that the White House actually runs DHS, so if they want those numbers, that I worked for the CIA. We never got to say, we don't tell you, Mr. President, the numbers. So I think that was a very interesting moment here. But, but I, I wanted to ask you, you know, not only are they hiding it, so I want you to, to tackle that for us and, and what that means, but also when they speak about, when the administration speaks about dealing with this problem, it's always in the context of sending more resources to do more processing. It's never, it, I never hear them say, we're going to stop this or shut this down. Are they doing anything to stop this? No, they, they seem intent on letting it continue, but trying to put a spin on it or deny that it's occurring. Um, they don't want to call it a crisis. They want to call it a challenge. Uh, they don't want the numbers to get out. They know very well that another border crisis is something that's going to upset people because we've had it before and the burdens that these uh, mass influxes of people impose on American communities is huge on the school systems, on the healthcare systems, on, on uh, all our welfare programs. The cost is enormous and there's a, and, and it's insulting to legal immigrants who are coming in through our, our regular immigration system. Um, so they want to uh, talk about this as a humanitarian challenge. And the, the really amazing statement that they've been making about now is not the time to come. They, they're trying to signal that they want people to wait until they can get processing centers set up in these foreign countries, in Central America in particular, to bring people in directly so they can avoid all the optics of a crisis at the border. But this thing is already out of control. They can't put the genie back in the bottle. Uh, and it's really kind of laughable how they are going about describing it. We, we, we've got um, to get, I, I just want to ask you before we let you get back to uh, all your research there, uh, Jessica, this is just going to keep going, isn't it? I mean, what, what's your level of certainty this just continues on in some capacity? It doesn't seem like there's anything that's going to stop it right now. The only thing that's going to stop it is a change in policy, such as the policies that Trump put into place. We've tried many, many things before. None of them yeah. worked. Aid, yeah. aid to foreign countries doesn't work. We the, can't the, fix these countries. As long as gonna, we're letting people here, they're going to come. They're going to keep coming, that's for sure. And uh, I think the Democrats might pay a big price, but it's about two years off. Thanks so much for joining us, uh, Jessica. Good to see you. Likewise. Thank you. It's growing increasingly difficult to count just how many times Dr. Anthony Fauci has been wrong when it comes to the pandemic, but now he's actually admitting that there's no sign to back up some of the decisions made by the CDC. More on that in tonight's Buck Brief. You never thought COVID could cost you your home, right? Well, it just might. Here's why. Cybercrime overall is up about 75%. And by far the most serious cybercrime to worry about is home title theft. That's right, cyber criminals, foreign and domestic, are now after our homes, and it's a lot easier than you'd think. The title documents to our homes are online now. The thief finds your home's title and forges your signature on a quitclaim deed, stating you sold your home to him. Then he takes out loans on your home and leaves you in debt. You won't know until late payment or eviction notices arrive. Insurance doesn't cover you, and neither do common identity theft programs. That's why I protect my home with Home Title Lock. The instant Home Title Lock detects someone tampering with my home's title, they help shut it down. 
Go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address to see if you're already a victim of this crime and don't even know it yet, and then you can use code RADIO to make sure you receive 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. Again, HomeTitleLock.com, code RADIO. The coronavirus pandemic is tapering off pretty quickly here, but don't let the new numbers fool you. The powers that be, the public health experts, the technocracy, and their god emperor Fauci will never let this crisis go to waste or even disappear completely. Not till they've wrung every last bit of power out of this. Their control is too massive, too important, and their grip too tight to let go just now. We must continue on in this new normal for the foreseeable future, regardless of the data and the numbers. Masks indefinitely, even when vaccinated and socially distanced, 24-7, even with the family, we can spare no expense in the fight against COVID-19. Is anybody tired of this yet? I know, I know I am. But let's dive into the latest round of COVID hysterics, Fauciism, and pseudoscience on today's Buck Brief. Listen to the science, they tell you. What does that even mean? Who, who is this person science? Because they speak about it like it's a diktat from above. But really, as we know, science is a discipline, one that actually requires a lot of testing and retesting of assumptions and data that can be proven over and over again. That's not what we've seen from the science, not at all. And in fact, now increasingly it's clear as the numbers become apparent to everybody and the virus is uh, crashing down, thank God, that the people that are making decisions for you at the CDC, uh, including, well, Dr. Fauci's at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, where he's a director, but, you know, he's buddies with all the CDC people. I'm sure they all sit around together and figure out new ways to annoy you with totalitarian absurdity. Uh, the powers that be in the health bureaucracy, uh, Fauci admits, they're making decisions about which they actually have no data, but they feel like it's a good idea. Play it. And then when you don't have the data and you don't have the actual evidence, then you've got to make a judgment call. And I think that's what you're going to be seeing in the next weeks. You're going to see little by little more and more guidelines getting people to be more and more flexible. The first installation of this is what can vaccinated people do in the home setting. Obviously, the next one is going to be what you're asking. What about travel? What about going out? What about getting a haircut? What about doing things like that? Yeah. Judgment call. Is judgment call, uh, is that another word for the science? Because I'm pretty sure that judgment requires balancing competing goods and that that's then a policy decision when you're talking about judgment for the good of the general public. So why do we listen to a bunch of unelected bureaucrats and treat them like they're the emperor god kings who can tell us what to do all the time? Oh, and then there's the whole thing about Fauci saying, can you go get your hair cut? People are already doing that, Fauci. Does he even live in America? Does he just go from like a little hermetically sealed box to the MSNBC and CNN green room and then back? Does he see what's going on all over the country? Does he read any of the data that he speaks about? Has he seen that mask states and non-mask mandate states had basically the same curve throughout the whole winter? I'm just wondering. Did I ever point this out to Dr. Fauci? Dr. Fraudchi? Unbelievable. He also now is going to be in the process of rewriting history quite a bit. Don't be surprised by this. You'll see a lot of these public health experts that are saying, oh, I did a great job. And then someone says, well, hold on a second. How many times can you say, wait two weeks and I'll be right? 
over the course of, oh, I don't know, a year before people realize we shouldn't listen to you anymore. Here's Dr. Fauci claiming that uh, it, was, it was unimaginable that we would face the 500,000. I, I, want, I want to take a look at this for a second. Here's Fauci. The thought that you would have 525,000 people in America to have died and about, you know, 28 million infections in this country is, would have really been unimaginable. So this virus is a very formidable <laughs> enemy if you want to be metaphorical about it. It's just extraordinary. Unimaginable. It's actually not true because some of the early projections from the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation at Washington University, funded by Bill Gates, of course, suggested that it could be well over a million, even two million people who die from the virus over the next 12 months. And that was before we knew that we were actually getting a vaccine. In the early days, people thought the fatality rate might be three to five percent, not the 0.02 percent or whatever the end of the actual fatality ended up being, or 0.2 percent, something along those lines. That's a big difference, isn't it? So we actually thought it was worse in the beginning, but now he's telling us we never could have imagined what was going to happen. There will be a constant rewriting of history, and it's because the people that took into their hands the power to control lives and to ruin businesses, to cause trillions of dollars from the global economy, God knows how much money and productivity in the American economy, in the name of protecting lives, where they can really not point to very much in terms of lives protected, they're never going to admit the Democrats, the health experts, the Democrats propped up all the time, never going to admit that they were wrong. In fact, they're just going to keep doing what they've been doing all along. Wait two weeks. Here's Fauci with the usual. You're inviting a surge. Play it. We understand people's need to get back to normal, and we are going in that direction. But when you start doing things like completely putting aside all public health measures as if you're turning a light switch off, that's quite risky. We don't want to see another surge, and that's inviting one when you do that. I just want to know, when Texas is still on its downward trajectory in, in a month after the reopen that got rid of the statewide mask mandate, I know there's still some cities that are requiring masks, but there's clearly been a loosening. When there is no change in the curve, does Fauci say, wow, I was wrong about that, or maybe I shouldn't have been trying to terrify everybody continuously with actually no good ideas to share of my own? I'm just wondering. Now, in fact, what you see is that Fauci's too busy standing on stage, being a puppet of the Chinese Communist Party, praising China's response to this. This is a couple of days ago. We can show you this one. That's right. A photo of Fauci up on stage with a top Chinese Communist Party official. There it is. Fauci shares stage with top CCP official, endorses China's COVID-19 propaganda. This guy is all about being on the cover of Vanity Fair and having MSNBC audiences love him. He has been a catastrophic failure for the year, the whole course of the pandemic. Wrong over and over. Oh, really? The people that believe in masks so much? Fauci just figured out a month ago that you need to double mask. You, you think that you should listen to this guy? He's got good judgment? He just figured that out a month ago. A year ago, he thought masks were a joke. We've all, we can all see the record here. Oh, but it's like a religious belief. I know people can't actually think for themselves. Good heavens. Much better to be controlled, feel safe and warm and fed if you're controlled by government bureaucrats. We spent a lot of time discussing how pop culture is under siege from the far left, but Dr. Seuss and Speedy Gonzalez aren't the only ones being sacrificed to the woke gods. Up next, we'll talk to the Discovery Institute's Chris Rufo about how wokeness is now all over America's elite high schools.
While the country is still battling the coronavirus pandemic, there's a different kind of virus that is spreading all over the place too. The wokeness cult in elite education is slowly poisoning our society, rotting not only our institutions, but the young, impressionable brains of the people that attend them. Barry Weiss, in a recent piece, The Miseducation of America's Elites, shines a terrifying light on this. She was formerly of the New York Times. She left because of wokeness. And in this piece, she gets into the wokeness culture that has run amok at elite schools, pointing out the sad reality that as a society, we're no longer close to the beginnings of a counter-movement. Joining me now to discuss the director of the Discovery Institute Center on Wealth and Poverty. He does a lot of anti-wokeness work of his own. Chris Rufo. Chris, good to see you. It's great to be with you. There was a quote that I think really summed up a lot of this article, which is for everybody watching. It's a Barry Weiss piece in City Journal where she goes into some of the most elite private schools in New York City and Los Angeles and how not just the kids, the parents are now increasingly terrified at the level of brainwashing that's going on. There was a quote in this piece that to speak against this is to put all of your moral capital at risk. Feels like that kind of summarizes where we are in society against wokeness these days. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how people conceive of it, but I think there's also a, an error there because it's not moral capital. I think you can stand on moral grounds against this ideology uh, very solidly. It's really your social capital and your status that is at risk because it, within these elite institutions, if you question this ideology, uh, you're immediately dismissed with all sorts of epithets, of racist, a white supremacist, upholding the patriarchy, whatever it might be. Uh, and that's what terrifies elite Americans more than anything is the loss of status. It seems amazing as well. And this is part of the article. I know you, you've covered this too in your work and research. We're talking about in some cases here, 40, 50, even $60,000 a year, private high school institutions who are having their, their, their students constantly go around uh, lecturing others now on privilege and the need to show contrition for white supremacy culture, a, a whole range of left-wing ideas. How, why, are, why are these institutions of privilege posing as social justice warriors against privilege? Well, I mean, the hypocrisy is clear, right? You have some of the most privileged people on the, on earth denouncing others for their privilege. Um, but I, I think what's happening is that this is the elite ideology. So it's not a surprise that it's being perpetuated in, in elite uh, primary and secondary school education systems. Uh, the question that I think conservatives need to wrestle with is uh, how do you push back against this within those elite institutions? Because whether we like it or not, uh, these are the high school kids that in 20 years are going to be running uh, companies and institutions and, and universities, uh, it's time to really tackle this problem now uh, and not just dismiss it as an elite fad. Well, it feels like we do need something of a, of a counter-wokeness revolution, right? Or a counter-revolution against wokeness. The, the far left in this country, far left ideology, has seized the commanding heights of some of the most powerful, influential, and wealthy institutions in the United States. Basically, all of Hollywood, all of elite academia, all of social media. I mean, you go down the list now and it's, it's stunning what they've done. And it feels like on the right or even, even actual centrists in this country uh, aren't able to or aren't willing to, or why is it, you know, why isn't there one elite high school, for example, that says we believe in traditional values? I mean, can we start there? 
Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know the answer to that question. There might be. There's a lot of uh, high schools in the country, but I, I think that the right has really ceded cultural territory. They basically said, we're going to focus on economics, we're going to focus on trade, we're going to focus on national security. Uh, and they made the decision a generation or two ago to abandon the cultural sphere. Uh, I, I think that already is changing, though. I, I'm actually very optimistic. I think that if you look at social media, if you look at comedy, if you look at other bright spots within the culture, uh, people are starting to realize that this ideology is not only morally and politically wrong, but actually it's not fun, it's not forgiving, uh, it's not it's not enjoyable to be a part of that culture. So uh, I'm optimistic, and I know that people who are in the kind of Gen Z category, it's now become cool and popular and rebellious to fight against wokeness. Uh, so there's a lot of bright spots from where I'm sitting. Yeah, politically cor political correctness, wokeness, this these different... Uh, ways of describing this kind of leftism is clearly a, a vicious and really self-consuming ideology. One thing that we see are people who think that they're safe from it or think that they're on the right side of it very quickly get fed into the machinery the same way as other people because that's just the way it goes. Kind of reminds me a little bit of what happened in the Soviet Union in the earlier days. Uh, but I also wanted to ask you about how, how far this can really go on campuses before people say this has just gotten completely crazy. There's a University of Dayton professor who says, uh, who, who's been very you know, public and vocal about how 90% of the country's schools have excessive whiteness. And he shared this out, that the University of Georgia, Sanford University, Mercer, Pepperdine, Southern Methodist, that these are the whitest law schools in the country. And then the professor recommends how to reduce excessive whiteness. I mean, just the notion that there's a term that's being used in academia openly of excess whiteness, uh, like, like it's excess weight, something that must be shed. This is concerning. Yeah, it's concerning, but not surprising. I think that if you look at this language, to eliminate excess whiteness applied to any other group uh, would be immediately denounced by everybody. But this is just another blip in the culture war, in our culture, in our kind of time and place. Uh, but I think this is kind of it's 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 termed in excessive terms, but this is really the ideology. This this law school professor of this story said uh, that we should be eliminating standardized testing, eliminating competitive grading, eliminated eliminating any objective measurement of student achievement, and simply apportion uh, positions in law schools and other institutions on the basis of race. Um, it's been going this way for a long time, and uh, this law school professor uh, just didn't have the tact uh, to not just say it uh, the quiet part out loud. Yeah, and it seems increasingly like the woke left, Chris, is just making an argument rooted in, in power and not actually in ethics or, or morality, certainly not one in equal protection under the law. Like there's, there's now just essentially a treatment of everything in society as though it's a spoil system and should be doled out to people based upon identity category, whatever that may be. That's right. And I think that the real problem, though, is that that way of thinking, this idea that there's a static amount of resources and power and privilege that should be apportioned to different racial groups and some kind of formula, uh, ignores the idea of where does wealth come from? How is productivity generated? How are benefits and privileges and technology uh, created? And ultimately, they're going to kill the golden goose uh, because you can only redistribute and take and seize and and, uh, and push for so long before people uh, start to realize that we're actually doing damage to our economy, damage to our, our system of laws. Um, and unfortunately, that seems to be the direction we're heading. 
I know in some of the work you've done, you've shown the public the kind of wokeness training that's going on for employees of the government, municipal employees specifically. Uh, are you seeing a rise in that under the Biden administration? Essentially, is it now, you know, just open season? They, they want to get as much wokeness training out there in the federal government, state and local government as they possibly can, or is it staying pretty constant, pretty steady? Yeah, I mean, I've got sources in dozens of federal agencies, and the common theme that I'm hearing is that uh, diversity training and cult critical race theory training is back with a vengeance. Uh, they're doubling down on it. They're trying to make it part of all of their programs and decision making. So I think under the Biden administration, it's safe to say that even at this early time, uh, critical race theory has jumped out of the HR department uh, and is now in the boardroom. Uh, actually, the cabinet and subcabinet level officials are being asked uh, to, to make these decisions, make political decisions, make administrative decisions according to the dictates of this new ideology. Chris, appreciate your work. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Meghan Markle files a formal complaint against Piers Morgan because he doesn't believe her. I wasn't aware that was something you could really do in a free country, but is the UK really a free country? Is America these days? We've got those stories coming up in quick hits. We're living in very uncertain times and being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed the world we live in today is anything but predictable. The government is passing massive spending bills, Federal Reserve, trillions of dollars in fiat currencies sloshing all over the place. Many experts are predicting that inflation could run rampant in the months ahead. The Biden administration knows what it's doing. They're going to make all this better. That could spell disaster for the dollars in your bank account and for your future, your retirement. We could all benefit from something reliable right about now. What could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about real gold and silver you can actually hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group now and learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Again, call the Oxford Gold Group right now at 833-600-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group is the only gold company I trust. Call them right now, 833-600-GOLD. One more time, that's 833-600-G-O-L-D. The royal saga continues in Great Britain and Joe Biden's dog turning out to be a bit of a liability. Oh, how sad. We got those stories in quick hits. I want to start, though, with the Democratic Socialists of America. Now, this was back in 2019, but it has now gone viral as a clip today. Here's what the Democratic Socialists of America are like. If we want to defeat capitalism, we are going to need a party that will organize working people to fight for the demands that we want and to win socialism. Thank you so much. Right, right uh, quick point of privilege, quick point um, of personal privilege. Yes. Um, guys, uh, first of all, James Jackson, Sacramento, he, him. I just want to say, can we please keep the chatter to a minimum? I'm one of the people who's very, very prone to sensory overload. There's a lot of whispering and chatter going on. It's making it very difficult for me to focus. Please, can we just, I know it's, we're all fresh and ready to go, but can we please just keep the chatter to a minimum? It's affecting my ability to focus. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. Okay, is there a speaker against name, point chapter, pronoun? Privilege. Point of personal privilege. Yes. Please do not use gendered language to, to address everyone. I mean, it's like, I, I wish I honestly, I wish I could be there. I would love to be there. I just said there'd be like, yes, my name is, is Bob and my pronouns are Z, Zed, and Xanadu. And uh, excuse me, point of personal privilege. 
Somebody suggested that America was not the most racist, awful country in the history of the planet. And I feel triggered and I'm now having, it is literally violence. I'm having an emotional meltdown because of the violence from your words about America not being the worst place in the history of the world. Worse than Nazi Germany, worse than the Soviet Union, worse than everything. Yeah, I mean, and they all then they go home and they watch MSNBC and they feel right at home, right? No big deal. It's, it's, all, it's all the same thing, really. It's just a question of uh, what the verbiage is. Oh, my. Speaking of verbiage, some things you're just not allowed to say. Apparently, you can't even get away with criticizing Meghan Markle if you're a rather well-known British morning show host. Piers Morgan, who used to have a show at CNN, mind you, um, didn't last all that long, but he was at CNN for a bit. Uh, he lost his job there, and now he is no longer with ITV, which is a popular British morning show. He is out there defending free speech. Here's what he said. I believe in freedom of speech. I believe in the right to uh, be allowed to have an opinion. Uh, if people want to believe Meghan Markle, that's entirely their right. I don't believe almost anything that comes out of her mouth, and I think the damage she's done to the British monarchy and to the Queen at a time when Prince Philip is lying in hospital is enormous and frankly contemptible. So uh, if I have to fall on my sword for expressing an honestly held opinion about Meghan Markle and that diatribe of bilge that she came out with in that interview, so be it. Formal complaint apparently lodged by Meghan Markle against Piers Morgan, which I didn't even know that's a thing you could do in that country. But then again, in this country, we think we're so much better about free speech in America because we have a First Amendment, right? Well, we're supposed to, but social media platforms shut people down for wrong think here all the time. Do we really have the First Amendment in practice as well as as a matter of law? Not so much. Then there's dogs. I love dogs. Big fan of dogs in general. The Biden dogs, however, a little bit of a problem, at least one of them. Uh, they had a couple of German shepherds. They brought them to the White House. There was a lot of fanfare around this. The media, of course, loved the fact that part of the return to normalcy uh, after Trump, they said, was, was now we have a White House with dogs again. And like, I'll be honest with you. I kind of wish the Trumpster had dogs, but he didn't. But if he had had dogs, they would have been the best dogs, the most well-behaved. And uh, instead, we had Biden, whose dogs are not the most well-behaved because they bit a member, I believe, of the Secret Service, one of the dogs, bit somebody, actually to get some medical attention, and then that led to a question like this from a journo. About three things, if that's okay, the, the dogs, immigration, and then Governor Another Cuomo. dogs question, okay, I, go I'd ahead. Like to follow, just a, a quick clarification sure. on the dogs. Okay. Um, can you confirm that it was a Secret Service member who was bitten, and can you also reassure the public that Major Biden will not be euthanized as a result of this? Well, certainly Major Biden is a member of the family, so I can assure you that. Uh, I don't have any more details on the individual. Um, I would encourage you to ask the Secret Service, but I'm not going to have any more uh, details other than that. Euthanize the dog? Good heavens. Certainly, certainly hope not. It's not the dog's fault that he got brought into D.C. and probably realized, oh my gosh, Joe's not with it anymore. He's got the nuclear codes. He's cognitive decline. Uh, cognitive de uh, cognit no, that's what happens when you talk about cognitive decline. Cognitively declining. Um, and he decided he wanted to get out of there, so he uh, decided to nip a Secret Service agent. You know, no big deal. That happens sometimes, I guess. Anyway, cancel culture is a more important topic for us today. It always is a more important topic than the latest with the Biden dogs, that's fair to say. Tulsi Gabbard uh, is somebody who is a, she's a woman of the left, but she also does 
have a problem with the left and that she doesn't hate everybody on the right and doesn't want to cancel them all, here's what she says about cancel culture. Look down the path and say, okay, well, where does this cancel culture lead us? You see the final expression of cancel culture in Islamist terrorist groups like uh, ISIS and al-Qaeda, who, who, who uh, basically go and behead those who are in, they deem to be infidels or, or heretics in order to silence them, in order to protect others from being misled by, by those heretical ideas in, in the eyes of an ISIS or, or uh, al-Qaeda. Tulsi. Plenty of room for you over on, uh, on team, reasonable team reality over here. It's fine. Jump on in. The water's warm. We got room for you if you want to come hang out on the right. But, you know, she's actually kind of a socialist. But at least she understands some things. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News is up next. Shields high.